1 Corinthians chapter 6, we look at verses 12 to 20 this morning. I've had a wretched cough for the past few days, so the hope is you're all far enough away. Now I know why y'all sit in the back, right? (laughs) The goal is to get through this sermon without a coughing fit. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 12 to 20. I know you all just sat down, but let's do something different. Let's rise for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Follow along as I read from God's holy word for his people. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Please be seated. My body, my choice. Familiar, right? We've heard that expression before. It's the leading argument in today's abortion industry, my body, my choice. It's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Of course, sadly, those who use that for abortion fail to realize that, yes, it is their body, but with inside their body, there is something else growing, and it's another body. It's another life, and that's what they fail to realize. It's an entirely different person. See, my body, my choice, really is is not just about abortion, which is interesting. It's actually an overarching anti-Christian worldview, and it's used throughout our culture today in countless different ways. There's a burger joint. Your burger, your choice. Same idea, same philosophy. Here's the basic idea of what my body, my choice, what your burger, your choice is saying. And I'm going to use, I just discovered this the other day, I like using fancy words sometimes. Somatic autonomy. Isn't that a great word? Great phrase. Let's say it together. Somatic autonomy. Oh, that was weak. Come on, guys. Somatic autonomy. Any clue what that is? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The Greek word soma means body. The Greek word autos 
means self. The Greek word namos means law. So basically you put those together and what does it say? I have self-law over my body. I have self-rule over my body. See, that somatic autonomy is actually a phrase I discovered in abortion rights. Advocates use that phrase. We have somatic autonomy over our body. It's self-rule. It's my body, my choice. Now, as followers of Christ, we reject this idea of somatic autonomy when it comes to understanding abortion. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. I think there's a tendency for us to buy into this thinking and how we live the Christian life. We have either unwillingly or unwittingly co-opted this my body, my choice into our own thinking. See, the major problem with this is not the word soma. It is the word autonomy. We believe we are a law unto ourselves. We believe we are a rule unto ourselves. In other words, who is the king of our lives? Me. Me and me. So in some respects, if you believe that you are the king, you are the final authority. Now, we'll step back and say, Pastor, I don't believe that. But let me ask you this, do your beliefs line up to your life? I think we often all live as if my body, my choice, I can do what I want and no one else, including Christ, can tell me what to do. We are our own Lord, the captain of our souls. We are our own boss, our own rule, our own king. No one else has that authority over me. And that church is the word I want to talk about this morning. Authority. The issue really comes down to who has the authority? Who is the boss? Who is your ruler? Who is your king? Who is your Lord? Who is the one who has the right to rule over you? See, it's exactly here at this point of authority where I think the people of God often get things mixed up. We have an unbiblical view of Christ's lordship. We have an unbiblical view of Christ the king, Christ the authority, Christ the ruler. Yes, we confess Christ is king. We confess that he is lord of our lives, but our actions day in and day out betray our confession. Our actions tell us and tell others who are watching, that we follow a different king than Christ. They tell us that we are the rulers of our lives, the captains of our own souls, and brothers and sisters, this is a problem. This is our problem that we have. And it's the same problem the Corinthians had thousands of years ago. See, when it came to sexual immorality, the Corinthians were living by the philosophy, my body my choice, the lordship of Christ, Christ as king, Christ as Lord, failed to impact their everyday living. This is why Paul takes the time in chapter 6 to flesh out a biblical teaching of our bodies. And just so you know, yes, I skipped a few verses. And for the next few weeks, we will be skipping around a bit in 1 Corinthians. Here is why this is so important. Let me look at it a different way. The way we view 
and use our bodies reveals what we truly believe about God. The way we view and use our bodies reveals what we truly believe about God. Again, the question is, who is the Lord? Who is the authority? Who is the boss? Who is the king? Is Jesus Christ king of your entire being? Is God the Lord of your life? Every minute, small detail. Who is your ultimate authority? If it is not Jesus Christ, then you have fallen into the foolish arrogance of my body, my choice. You are robbing God of his authority. How we view our bodies matters. Now this is not a sermon on why we need to diet. This is not a sermon on why we should quit smoking. This is not a sermon on why we should exercise. And yes, maybe we should do some of those things. <laughs> Ultimately, this is not even a sermon about sexual immorality, even though that is driving Paul's passionate plea here. What is this sermon about? This sermon is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. This sermon is about Christ as king. This sermon is about Christ as Lord. And this sermon is about our need to submit to him as our ultimate final authority, not just in what we confess, but in how we live day in and day out. My brothers and sisters, this is about the lordship of our king. This is about giving him, recognizing him as the king over our lives and living as such. Jesus is king. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is king. We need to submit to him. We need to submit to him. He is the Lord of our lives. We need to live like Jesus reigns not just singing about it, not just talking about it, to live as if he is the king of heaven and earth, the one who created the sun and the moon and the stars, the one who breathed life into us, the one who keeps everything together, keeps everything from falling apart. He is the king, not you, not me. This morning, I want us to focus on this. If we believe that Jesus is king of all kings and lord of all lords, then he also must be king of our lives, Lord of our lives. And our lives, how we live, should reflect that truth. This morning, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, we're going to focus on what I'm going to call a theology of our bodies. Again, this matters because how we view our bodies is directly connected with how we view God. The short of it, theology matters. What we believe, what we love, impacts and forms and shapes what we do. So three things this morning. First, we must flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality in verses 12 to 18. And secondly, because we have been bought with a price. That is why we flee. We run because we have been bought with a price in 19 and 20. And the third and kind of the last point, bringing it all together, is therefore, Paul says in verse 20, glorify God in your bodies. So we can bring those three points together. They form a logical sentence. 
We flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because we have been bought with the price. Therefore, what do we do? We glorify God in our bodies. If we have a proper theology of our bodies, we will realize that we are not our own. We have been bought with the price. And that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, because we are purchased, we must live to glorify God with our bodies. And practically, one of the primary ways we glorify God with our bodies is fleeing from sexual immorality and really fleeing from all sin. So let's begin by looking at verses 12 to 18. Paul commands the Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one one spirit with him. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's important for us to understand the logic of Paul's argument here. Why in the world, or maybe I should say it this way, what does food have to do with sexual immorality? All right? Paul begins by stating that all things are lawful. Why? Because of Christ's work on the cross. Even food, which we'll later look at 1 Corinthians 8, he talks about even food sacrificed to idols are lawful. It's clean because of the cross. But in chapter 6, his point is all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. Queso and chips are lawful, but they're not always helpful. I love, this has been, I don't know why, I've lost the sense of my desire for chocolate, which I find really weird because I used to really like chocolate, and recently queso and chips for the past, what, two years? Like Sarah goes to Aldi, did you get me some queso? Did you get me some chips? And it's like, I'm, it's borderline addiction, it's weird, but I love it, and I, it's, it's like the completely empty calories, and I always feel sick after, but yet tastes so good. All things are lawful, but not helpful, is what Paul is saying with food. Too much of a good thing can end up being a bad thing, unhealthy and unhelpful. Queso and chips, for me, is one of those things. But back to the passage in verse 13, Paul says that unlike food for the body, which is necessary and helpful, sexual immorality is not meant for the body. The body is meant for the Lord, for purity, for Christ. 
Now here's the thing, sexual immorality is a catchword. It's a catchphrase. We already saw last week that Paul referred to sexual immorality as incest. But sexual immorality is a whole lot broader. It is a catchword for multiple sexual sins, lust, adultery, masturbation, addiction to pornography. All of that is sexual sin. All of that is sexual immorality. Paul says our bodies were not designed for that. We are not meant to do that. It is not good. It's not lawful and it's not helpful. It's supposed to be one husband, one wife together. And even more so than one husband and one wife, our bodies are meant for the Lord. When God rose up Jesus in power and might, we became united to him in his resurrection. We are united to Christ in his perfect life. We are united to Christ in his sacrificial death. And we're united to Christ in his powerful resurrection. Just as Christ has new life, so do we. Just as Christ conquered sin, so do we. Just as Christ rose, so do we. Look at verse 15. Paul says, our bodies are members of Christ. We are united together with Christ, the King, in a beautiful and mysterious spiritual union. The union is the foundation of our salvation. If we are not united to Christ, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins. So Paul then asks, if our body is united to Christ, how could we unite it with a prostitute? How could we unite it with what is pure and holy, with what is impure and unholy? And I, and I believe this, Paul is using prostitute just as an example. You could also fill in the blank because he's talking about sexual immorality. You could insert any type of sexual immorality. How can we unite with Christ in our lust? How can we unite with Christ with a man who is not our husband? How can we unite with Christ with addiction of pornography? Paul is saying this is not what Christ's followers should do. If we're joined to the Lord in his life, death and resurrection that we must not be joined with any sexual immorality sexual immorality is a sin of the body a sin that defames Christ in us sexual immorality is a sin that eradicates the lordship of Christ it's a sin that says Jesus is not lord over my body it's a sin that says my body my choice I can do what I want with it But if we follow Christ, then we're united with Christ. We are one in spirit with him. Therefore, we cannot be spiritually united with another. Sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies. And because we're united with God and Christ, it's a sin against God and Christ, as all sin always is. The reason we are to flee from sexual morality and particularly in all sin in general, is that we have been united with Christ. To bring sin into the relationship, it's not just that awkward third wheel. It's not supposed to be there. It is Christ and you united together, not sin, not sexual morality, not pornography, not lust, not masturbation. It is Christ and you. Anything else defiles that relationship. It creates an unholy and broken union. It is to allow another to reign in Christ's place. So the question Paul is really driving at, I believe, is who is your Lord? 
You reveal the answer to that question with what you do in your body. Who is your Lord? How do you live? How do you treat your body? How do you engage? When you allow sexual immorality or any sin for that matter to reign, you are making a confession. You are declaring lordship. You are saying, I am Lord over my body. You are confessing that you are Lord. You are confessing somatic autonomy. You are confessing my body, my choice. And brothers and sisters, this is so important because it comes down to Christ's lordship. He reigns. He must reign. The question Paul is really driving at is who is Lord of your life? In verses 19 to 20, he turns and gives a reason why Christ should be Lord of your life, why Christ must be Lord of your life if you follow him. He says you have been bought with a price. Look at verses 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the good news, the essence of the gospel that we have been bought with the price. Peter, in his first letter, calls upon the church to be holy as the Lord is holy. And then in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter, he says this, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The perfect, spotless lamb of God has died upon the cross, taking your sins and wiping them away as far as the east is from the west. So what is the result of Christ's work? We are not our own. We are bought with a price. That means we live for another. In some respects, we no longer are the masters of our bodies. We are stewards of our bodies. They are not owned by us. Christ the King owns them. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to Satan. We are no longer slaves to the world, but make no mistake, we are still slaves. God's word says we are slaves to God and Christ. A good master, a just master, a holy master, the creator and redeemer of our souls, the king of heaven, the Lord of all, the one who shed his precious blood for us, for our redemption. Christ is our king. This is the way things are supposed to be. What God has done in Christ is a righting of the ship, a restoration of what was once broken. Go back to verse 11 with me real quick. 1 Corinthians 6.11. This is how we now are. He says in verse 11, And such were some of you. And he just gave a list of all kinds of sins. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, we are now sanctified 
by the Spirit, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins are washed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Our unholy lives are made pure. Our sins, our lusts, our longings, our wrong sinful desires are all washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And we are declared righteous, holy. The good news is that Christ's perfect life is given to us. His perfect life is imputed to our account, granted to our account, Christ's death in our place, Christ's resurrection giving us new life. Now, Paul says, our bodies are no longer slaves to sin, but transformed into holy temples. Your body and my body is a holy temple. And the spirit of the living God is inside of us. The very presence of God lives within us. And Paul says in his second letter to Corinth, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. We are new creations in Christ. God has formed us into temples of the Holy Spirit. All because we have been bought with a price. The precious blood of our King. If Christ is Lord over us, Lord over our bodies because we have been bought with a price, then how do we glorify God in our bodies? Let me briefly offer five concluding thoughts. First, we must submit to Christ's lordship. Submission is all about posture. How do we stand in relation to God and Christ? How do we stand before our holy God? In humble adoration and willing obedience. The problem with this, though, is that what? We don't like to submit. We like to submit to only one king, and that is ourselves. We do not like to submit to Christ our king. I think that sometimes makes me wonder if we really truly believe that Christ is really king. Yes, we confess it. If we're here this morning and believe in Christ, you confess it. But do you actually live like it? Do you truly believe it? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have no other option. He is Lord. He is king. You are bought with the price if you believe and trust in him, and you are not your own. Your body is not yours. And that's the second point. We need to recognize that we are not our own. See, if you believe that you're not your own, if you believe that you are a mere steward of your body, then stewards treat things differently, right? I joked about going in someone's house, letting everyone into the Eagles game and trashing the house. That would not be the case. If actually someone entrusted me to steward their house, I would be like walking around on broken glass, trying to care for it, trying to make sure I don't break anything. Have you ever borrowed anyone's car before? You drive differently, right? First of all, the gas always seems way more touchy or the brakes seem harder but you drive more carefully than you do in your own car. You are stewarding it. You are caring for it. So if our bodies are not our own, there's some implications there, right? 
How much more with our own bodies should we recognize that we are stewards of what rightfully belongs to God? The payment has been transacted. Our redemption has been secured. We are not our own. It's time to start living like we are not our own. So what does it look like to live when we are not our own? We need to learn to flee. We need to learn to flee. The first fleeing that we must do is to flee from sin. This is true repentance. It's running away from sin. It's confessing it, confessing your sins to God, confessing your sins to others. And as a side note, I think it's an important side note, I don't know where the church, and I'm talking about the church in general, maybe us in particular, got this unbiblical idea that we don't confess our sins to one another. Where did we get that? What does James say? It's certainly not from James. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Can't help but wonder with so much spiritual sickness among us that maybe the part of the problem is we are not confessing our sins to one another. This is how James says we are healed. Fleeing from sin is repenting of it, confessing it, turning away from it. But let me tell you, it is not enough to flee from your sin. You must flee to Christ. When you turn from sin, you need to turn from Christ. Because if you don't turn to Christ, you're going to turn to some other sin. Or some other lesser thing. We need to flee from sin and flee to Christ. To turn away from sin. To turn towards something. Someone better to turn to Christ. That is what it means to pursue purity. Paul tells Timothy and us to flee youthful passions, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I like how John Stott, a pastor over in Europe for many years, writes this. So then, we are both to run away from spiritual danger and to run after spiritual good, both to flee from the one in order to escape it and to pursue the other in order to attain it. He calls this the double duty of Christians, negative and positive, this consistent reiterated teaching of Scripture. He continues, Thus we are to deny ourselves and follow Christ. We are to put off what belongs to our old life and to put on what belongs to our new life. We are to put to death our earthly members and to set our minds on heavenly things. We are to crucify the flesh and to walk in the Spirit. It is the ruthless rejection of the one in combination with the relentless pursuit of the other which Scripture enjoins upon us as the secret of holiness. Only so can we hope to be fit for the master's use. John Stott says, to ruthless rejection of sin, relentless pursuit of Christ. That is what holiness is about in the Christian life. The fifth thing I want to add, another flee, is that we need to flee to others, to accountability, for guidance, and for help. This is Partly why the church exists, to be here for one another. We cannot do this alone. The Christian life was never meant to be 
live solo. You cannot overcome an addiction to anything alone. You cannot overcome your sins by yourself. If you think you can, you're in a very dangerous place. Because we need one another. We need the body of Christ. Hebrews tells us that we need to learn to stir up one another to love and good works. We must not neglect meeting together. We need to learn the art of encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. And that day is coming. It is drawing near. And Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. Glorify God in your bodies. I want to end by paraphrasing one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon. It's paraphrased from his autobiography. Brothers and sisters, do not think too lightly of sin. Think highly of the Savior. See your sin for what it is. You once stood condemned before God, convicted. You once had the hangman's rope around your neck. You were once sentenced to death for your sin and rebellion against God. But now, by the mercy and grace of Christ, you are pardoned. You have been bought with a price. Weep for joy. And flee from sexual immorality. Flee from all sin. And flee to Christ. Hate what is evil. Live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood you have been cleansed by. Brothers and sisters, glorify God in your bodies. Let's pray. Father, you have given us a gift. The gift of our bodies. And how we use them matters. What we engage in matters. Help us, we pray, because we know how hard it is. Help us to see you as Lord of our lives, to see you as the ultimate authority, to see you as the King, to see you as the Lord, and let us live such lives in submission to you fleeing from all sexual immorality, fleeing from all sin, fleeing to Christ, glorifying you, O Father, with our bodies. Help us, we pray, to have a helpful, hopeful, biblical view of our bodies so that we may glorify you with them, the gift you have given us. We thank you for Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.